All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, college football podcast comes to you on Sundays. We got a lot to get to. It's been a busy week all around college football. Uh, so a lot of different things to discuss. Not so much just dialed in on the Southeastern Conference, though. Some coaching news we'll get to. A portal player that we have taken a look at. We'll give you some thoughts on there. Uh, but some big picture items that we need to discuss. Um, and so a big newsmaker with where the college football playoff is heading was Notre Dame. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the future of Notre Dame, where it is, uh, where some people think that they are, where they're going. Is this good? Is this bad? Because if Notre Dame is undefeated and unequivocally the number one team in the nation, they're not getting one of the top four seeds. I don't know what you think about that. Personally, I don't love it. I know why it was done. We got a pretty good idea about the middle finger that it was essentially giving Notre Dame saying, hey, um, you're not one of us. You're not in a conference. Highest rated conference champions are going to get the one through four seeds, uh, therefore get buys. Good luck with that. Now, they might get a home game. And you could also make the argument that they're not going to have that stretch from conference Saturday through, I don't know, three, maybe four weeks before they play again. That could be beneficial. I don't know if it's ever really beneficial, though, if you have to play more games if you're talking about trying to win a national championship. So it's, it's going to be tough. And I think that's something that they're going to have to take a close look at. Mike Golick Jr. is going to join us to discuss it. What does he think? Former Notre Dame player. Has covered the team, covers college football. Just a fun dude, really and truly. We weren't going to have Mike on and not talk about offensive line play, food, and some other fun topics as well. So we'll get to that in just a moment. It was kind of long. I don't want to take a ton of your time opposite that, but you know we're brought to you each week by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. If you don't have them in your grocery store, you need to tell your grocery store manager, hey, man, go get some Wickles. Because Mike said he's never had them, so we got to send him some so he can try them and he'll let us know how they are. They sponsor the show every week. Please support them. We appreciate everything Wickles does for us. Um, before we get to Mike Golick Jr., just a couple of things. The NCAA, Judge Clifton Corker grants an injunction that forces or basically freezes NIL rules, NIL rules in college football, which there's a lot of celebration with this. There's a lot of people happy about this. And I do think that some of where this has gone is a little bit bogus. Uh, I thought the attempt to try and sort of bring down Tennessee, I don't bring downs probably a bit much, but to try to go enforce some rules which have changed and have a lot of gray area just on Tennessee, it was a little bit bogus. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push back on that. But with all NIL rules essentially being gone, and this is not just Tennessee and Virginia folks, um, we are in the dawn of a new era and we thought we were in the wild west before. We're really in the wild west now. Um, so this portal, Opening after spring practice may be completely bananas because of this. Um, the way I view this is tampering is essentially wide open. Um, it's it's just it's kind of where we are in all of it right now. And I've told people for a long time. Everybody asked me, "Are you surprised that they did this and this? Are you surprised that this happened?" There's literally nothing that can surprise me in college football anymore. Zero. There's just not. I mean, it's all completely just crazy to think about where we are, how fast we've gotten here, and trying to think about where things are headed in the future. Because I, I don't know if I see a quick fix or an easy solution. Um, our buddy Josh Pate talks all the time about this thing's got to be completely blown up before it can be rebuilt. And it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to see it another way that it could work. So that's going on right now in college football. Georgia loses another assistant as Del McGee is going to be the Georgia State head coach. Based on what happened to Georgia State and when it happened, this is a great get. Del McGee, former Auburn player, longtime Georgia assistant. He's been on short lists for college head coaching candidacies for a while. 
and a great recruiter, a great guy, someone who's been around multiple levels of college football for a while. It's an awesome gift for Georgia State. Considering where you were and how things happened and what the calendar was when it took place, I'm hoping he keeps a large portion of that staff together. I think I'm hearing that he will. At least for now, he's got to. And I think he's got a chance to be successful there. UCLA going to hire Eric Benamy as their offensive coordinator to help out Deshaun Foster. This is incredible. Uh, just being able to tell folks where he's been and who he's coached, mainly Patrick Mahomes, is going to be a big gift for UCLA. Uh, I think he's a bright offensive mind. I think he's going to be a good play caller. And somebody's going to help that program out as they try to sort of replace the Chip Kelly leave, which was also poor timing for that university. Um, now, we mentioned the college football playoff. There's already some discussions now about with that committee and a different panel that they're going to go to 14 teams in two years. We've mentioned that on this show previously. We believe that happens. That's not new news for us. And um, I don't see any reason that that's not going to take place right now, to be honest with you, because if you pay attention to Ross Dellinger and some of the things that he's saying over there at Yahoo, he's an amazing follow, by the way, if you don't go follow Ross. He's on top of all this NCAA stuff. Um, we've been having conversations now not only about uh, the college football playoff expanding and how essentially some of these automatic qualifiers, there's certain desires for people for them to go away that now the NCAA tournament's looking to expand. And by doing so, they want to knock out the mid-major AQs for winning their conference tournaments, which frankly, I hate. I don't like that at all. I think there's room for everyone. And I don't think you just do it based on inclusion. But if you're going to have a tournament that big with that many teams, then I think it's a way to reward those teams for going and winning their conference tournaments. It's like Mark Rick said a long time ago, folks. There's enough to go around for everyone. We just have to find a way to continue to do that. And we're finding ways to not continue to do that. I was surprised. We had Jay Billis on our show, McElroy and Kubik in the morning on Jocks last week. And he said, why should we keep that? Essentially, just basically saying, what, what does it matter? The, nobody goes, nobody watches those teams. You may watch the games and remember the games, but you're not watching it for those teams, which the whole doing everything just for ratings also seems a little bit diabolical and and not something that I'm a huge fan of just to throw that out there. So uh, that's another thing taking place. I uh, did take a look at a couple transfers. Uh, Keon Sab, the Michigan DB it's coming to Alabama. Um, watch, watch most of his film from last year. He was a bit of a spot player. Uh, I like his size. I like his physicality. Saw him run through some pulling guards uh, coming up, playing screens extremely well. I think he is a great substitute or replacement for Jalen Key. I see him as a very similar player, good in the box, physical, not afraid to come mix it up, not a liability in coverage, not going to be a strength, but he's played single safety in cover one. He's played some split safety stuff. He's rolled down into the box. He's been in man coverage outside in the nickel. He can do a lot of different things, and that's where I think his value will come in. So now you have he and Malachi Moore that can basically do all of it in that Alabama defense. So I think that's a good get. Also went and took a look at C.J. Daniels. Liberty wide receiver transferring to LSU, and they're getting a good one. We talked about another receiver going to Tennessee from Tulane last week and Chris Brazel. Well, I can tell you this, C.J. Daniels, real deal. Uh, about 200 pounds, 6'2", 6'3"-ish. He looks the part on film. I know he's playing a different level of football, uh, but a 50-50 ball guy that's not afraid to go up and catch the ball in traffic. I've seen him work the middle of the field. I've seen him lay out for a couple of passes. Like He's got good athleticism. He's flexible, loose, great hands, um, big catch radius. He is, he's more of the Malik Neighbors frame and I guess mold than he is sort of the Brian Thomas, Kyron Lacey mold. He's not like that big, just alien robot of a wide receiver, but I think there'll be, a, he can be sort of the move guy that Malik was last year. And again, I'm not saying he's Malik Neighbors, 
but he can be used in similar ways because of the skill set that he brings. So I think it's a great gift for LSU. I think it's a position they needed to address, and they addressed it in a big way. And obviously, you saw Liberty's head coach, Jamie Chadwell, stepping out this week saying he was mad about 300000 whatever it was, an apartment and a car. Welcome to today's college football. I hate it for you, but it's just where we are. It's what it is. And so maybe why that big divide is coming soon, which surprises me how many people kind of going back to the NCAA tournament, the college football playoff. I'm interested to hear from you guys in the comments here. Um, and you can tweet me, whatever it is, at Cole Kubik is mine, at Cube Show on Twitter. Please subscribe right here on YouTube if you can. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if you're listening there, I want you to, to tweet the show and respond to this and let us know. Do you want this giant divide in college football? Do you want the AFC and the NFC, the SEC and the Big Ten, basically, to just pull away and do their own thing? I think there's would be some advantages for the group of five if that took place. But I don't know if I'm sitting there, you know, I don't have this hunger for that to take place. I'm not dying for that to happen. Uh, because I do think a lot of what the lower levels of college football have been at different points in time have helped make the sport great. I, I just I don't know why we're sprinting to that. I realize that we're we're already heading down that path, but I'm curious how many people actually want it. Because I think there's a lot of people that think they want it, but they don't really know, or they hadn't thought about it, or maybe they just hadn't been a college football fan for a long time, and they feel like that's where it should be and should go. So I'm kind of interested to hear from you guys and what you want from that and where you want things to go and things to be. Finally, uh, part of that, the NFL, not happy with college football right now. Uh, according to Pro Football Talk, apparently they're mad with the Week 16 scheduling that the new playoff is going to bring. Listen, the NFL has been encroaching on college football now for a while. And if you go back and you look at the Sports Broadcasting, Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, along with the Sherman Act, the NFL is not able to broadcast on Friday nights or on Saturdays because of high school football and college football. Well, they've taken Black Friday. They've taken Thanksgiving Day. They've taken Christmas Day. And so now they're upset that a couple playoff games may roll over into a couple of their late regular season games, which who knows? We could have multiple starters even sitting out in those games. Uh, at some point in time, college football is just going to have to say, hey, enough's enough. We cannot completely avoid you anymore. This is going to have to happen. And we're sorry that we hurt your feelings. But your complete and utter dominance of all things sports in the United States every now and then might take a little bit of a jab, like just barely to the side of the chin that like kind of scrapes off there. Doesn't do real damage, but maybe we get a good little point on the scorecard and people see it and it looks a little bit more scary than it actually was. Calm the F down, NFL, is what I would say. It's going to be all good. You're not losing any revenue because of a college football playoff game encroaching on a week 16 regular season game. It's going to be fine. All right, Notre Dame, big topic of the conversation today. What does it mean for them to not be able to get one of these top four seeds in the new college football playoff? What was the coolest uniform item Mike Golick Jr. got while he was at Notre Dame? We're going to talk about a lot of different things. Great interview, fun interview. Thanks for hanging with us and checking this out. You're going to enjoy Mike Golick Jr. All right, guys, got to tell you about prize picks. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with prize picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can win now up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. You can turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. 
Prize Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including California, Texas, and Georgia. Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like Meek Mill, Sugar Sean O'Malley? You can now find community plays under the promos tabs on the app to view entries of some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this basketball season. Prize Picks, you can find them online. It is easy to go check them out today. Download the app or go find them online and go to Prize Picks and you can use promo code CUBE, C U B E, for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. Go to prizepicks.com, use the promo code CUBE. First deposit's going to be matched up to 100 bucks, so you can get started with all the college basketball tournaments that are coming up, second half of the NBA season. Get rolling today with Prize Picks. It's easy. Go download that app right now. Search prizepicks.com, promo code CUBE, and you're going to be able to pick more, pick less. It's that easy at Prize Picks. All right, so Michael Jr. are going to join the show, and there's an array of topics that I want to cover with him. I actually stole one of your ideas from your Twitter feed this morning on Greg McElroy and I's show, and that was the Cheesa from KFC, which apparently Man. is in, I don't know, New Zealand, England, somewhere. Uh, so we went through like some of these new food items that are out there. It sounds like you're in on the Cheesa. If you don't know, this is like uh, fried chicken with then tomato sauce, mozzarella, pepperoni. So you have a pizza with the base being fried chicken. You're you're in on this, I guess. Yeah, well, and I remembered a while back, I think it was KFC that did a chicken sandwich where they used chicken as the buns of the sandwich. Oh, yeah. So yeah, get, they're used to kind of innovating. Exactly. Yeah. Cut it all out here. We're about proteins and then whatever you consider the fried stuff. But the thing that ticked me off was apparently they introduced this in the Philippines in like 2015. I'm like, we're America. We do fried food and excess <laughs> calories better than anybody. How are you trying this out elsewhere before you give us the good stuff? Or we could have been traveling to the Philippines to try this. I mean, one or the other, we could have had that. Uh, I also found the Taco Bell is going to do a new crunch wrap with um, a Cheez-It that apparently is eight times larger than a normal Cheez-It. So basically just wrap it around a giant Cheez-It with whatever else comes with it. I'm assuming you're all, you're all in on that. You're, you're good there. All in on that, and I actually, so when I first moved out, I live in LA now, when I first moved out here like a year and a half ago, Taco Bell was running a promo where they did a bunch of the cheese at menu items at a couple select locations, oh. and one of them happened to be in an area that was about a half hour drive from where I had moved in California, so obviously I got in the car and went and tried it, and I kid you not, Cole, they didn't have the cheese at crunch wrap yet. They had a cheese at tostada. And so I bought two. I bought that and I tried the cheese at tostada. And then I took the large cheese it from that and just homemade put it inside a crunch wrap that I brought. Oh, so okay. I could try that out as well and can confirm you're going to have a great time with this thing. I went ahead and uh, stress test it for you. So let me ask you this quickly for folks that maybe don't follow you on Twitter and don't really understand. You are. Um, Part of your part of your social media presence is trying new things, foods, but specifically candy. So, you know, take five adds raisins to their bar or, you know, Reese's has these 17 different big cups that they're doing now. Like you're going to you want to be the first on the front lines to say, yes, go get this or no, I didn't do much for me. One, how do you stay so skinny Two, 
How is the complexion still what it is? Because I think I would look like I was 15 again if I ate chocolate all the time. Maybe you don't do it all the time. Maybe this is it's more spread out and you make it look like it's condensed. How do we how do we get through just eating candy all the time? Yeah, so I learned this trick from dad, who obviously my father, anyone unfamiliar, Mike and Mike in the morning for about two decades, dad. made part of his living on being the guy that ate stuff. There used to be a bit on Mike and Mike where he'd jam a whole donut into his mouth. Yep. He would read a segment on paper and they'd have people call in and try and guess it for prizes. So that was my upbringing. And the thing I realized as years went on is my dad just ate them a lot more spaced out still eats donuts but it's a lot farther apart so i don't gotcha. do these reviews every week sometimes i'll bank them after a while and release them later on a little peek behind the kimono on this but uh yeah so it's that and pilates all i can say for anyone is if you've ever had back problems and you want to get skinny my brothers and sisters in christ pilates is the home for you so i have officially Golly. been pilates pilled out here in los angeles i have been i've been considering it Mike for a long time and I need to just pull the trigger and do it and go find like an actual studio and get it. Do you, do you have to do the reformer or can I do like my Peloton Pilates that they offer? Like what, how, how deep do I need to go with this? I think it all works like the whole tenant of it is you're just hyper focused on really core and lower body with yeah. some other things mixed in there. I love the reformer because it does add a little bit of that like extra resistance element to it, which for guys like us that come from a world where a lot of it was resistance training and free weights. There's some of that that's familiar. And I, I don't know. It's nice to get out of your comfort zone. Like I was really bad at this when I yeah. started and I was usually the only guy in class. So you're a bit <laughs> of an oddity. And then after a while, it's kind of cool. I had the great moment in class the other day where there was a new student next to me on the reformer right next to me and i heard the instructor kind of helping her out and she goes if you have any issues watch mike he's pretty good at this point oh. i'm like 27 classes in right now so i was like all right like this is good I, i've been recognized by my peers as doing a decent job in here so but I, as someone who's had lower back issues like most offensive linemen you know current and former and a lot of stuff with my hips yes. it's the best my body has felt in a long time because all of that you're very mindful of and taken care of. So that's my Pilates sell for the podcast. Did you ever get in, because that made me think of in college when the coaches, are, especially our position coaches, are very unique, and they were always be other guys, and it would be, you know, why can't you do this? Or why can't you do this this way? And my favorite, like a pass set's one thing, or getting your hands inside is one thing. My favorite, though, was early in my Auburn career, we would watch defenses that were playing against LSU. And Alan Fanica would just be walking guys out of the hole. And he'd be like, why can't you fuckers do this? And look at him, just ah, 10 ah. yards downfield. And you just want to be like, hey, coach, like God only made certain people that way. Like we, we, we're not all capable of that. It, no matter how hard we want to try to do it, it's just not going to happen that way. So I don't know if that took uh. you back to any of those moments at all. Uh, well, I mean, so you know, I played my last year at Notre Dame for Harry He Stand, who you know is is renowned, one of the best to ever do it in, in coaching offensive line at the college level at a variety of stops and in the NFL. And he, you know, Harry has been doing this forever, so he the cutups would show us would be like sixteen millimeter film from like the nineteen sixties <laughs> in the NFL. It would be the ones he consistently show were. Stopped from his time with the Bears where you've got, you know, uh, some of the great players they had there, Olin Krutz, Big Cat, all those guys that are just oh, yeah. mowing dudes off the ball. But he would always show this one clip. It was from the Washington's practice reps of Russ Grimm in one-on-one -on -one drive block drill. Oh, yeah. And I sure. mean, the guy's hands disappear perfectly up underneath. His knees are going through the defender and he's walking him off the ball. And I'm watching that and then watching my practice tape the next day and go, well, I'm just never going to get to this point of nope. 
that's the standard we're working with here. One of the greatest to ever do it. So, yeah, we also got a little bit of that shame walking into there. Some of those meetings with Harry. Last thing on food. Have, have you had Wickles Pickles before? They sponsor the show. So I'm just curious. Ooh. Like, have you, have you had the, are you a pickle guy? If we can, we need to get you some guy. of these. All right. You've never had anything like this. So I'm going to get you a jar and we'll have, we'll get it sent out to you. You've got to try these. They're incredible. Let's stay with offensive line play for a minute because we're going to go there with Notre Dame, but just kind of in general draft coming up. Um, I want to go two directions with this. Number one, do you have a guy that's coming out this year that maybe you just like more than anybody else? That's just that much more fun to watch. And also go back in time since you and I started doing this. Because you watch a lot of tape like I do, and you're dialed into the offensive line and offensive linemen and offensive line play. Are there two or three guys that stick out that, because trust me, I know some of them we, we have shared with our group, like every, every Sunday, Saturday night, we'd be sending clips of certain guys. So I know who one, maybe one or two of them are going to be, but who are those guys that are kind of all time for you since you started doing this that you just could not wait to open the tape up on Sunday and watch? Oh, man. I, I think for me, a lot of them, like, obviously, I'm always going to be partial as a Notre Dame alum to, you know, the Notre Dame offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award, some of the renegade plays that Quentin Nelson used to make back in the day yep. where he'd be seeing things and going rogue in protection on instinct plays that worked within there because he just understood it so well. He was such a student of the game. He's such a physical monster there. I would also look like, especially when Sam Pittman was at Georgia, so many of those offensive yeah. lines and some of the guys that the that they had there and just technically across the board how unanimous it was how dialed in they all were on that like one of my all-time favorite college players and I was so pumped for him in the NFL because he had some chances at tackle and injury kind of Isaiah Wynn was one of the guys that oh, was yeah. in Quentin's draft class and I said that year outside of Q that was the best offensive lineman coming out of college football that that year you saw him the way he worked in double teams the way he was in pass protection everything was so clean he was so square and violent and moved guys off the ball so I, I remember I was beating the drum for whoever would listen for Isaiah Wynn and tried and tried to ride that out even as some of the injuries during his time in New England didn't make it uh, execute nearly as well as it's gone for Quentin on the other side. Yeah, I think uh, for me, Quentin Nelson, it's, it has nothing to do with Notre Dame. It's just him. It's just like he he is going to be number one on there. And then I think Trey Smith is probably 1B at Tennessee. Yeah. Like I've always said, those two, if like I could legally adopt those two, I would make that happen somehow, some way. Like that's just – that's the affection that I have for them and how they play the game. Uh, what about coming out this year? Is there a guy that you really – Maybe just like, then I do position, place in the draft, anything, just a guy you love to watch. So I, I think, uh, and of the group that I'll give you two, um, and for different reasons. So the Washington Huskies obviously won the Joe Moore Award that we're both oh, yeah. a part of. And Troy Fatanu to me was awesome. He's a guy that some people yes. are kicking down to guard in the NFL at the next level, but great independent hand usage, his body angles, just how much he is as a knee bender. He's always in such great position. He's violent. He's sudden. He varies his sets a lot. And, and in that offense, specifically with what Ryan Grubb and them ran there, it gave him an opportunity to get on the move a bunch they did a variety of stuff in protection so you saw him in a bunch of different positions and yet he never looked uncomfortable he always looked like he was dictating the terms to whoever he was playing and you know having a plan going out there and being able to get a defender off of their stuff it really goes such a long way so i thought he was great and then jackson powers johnson uh out of oregon to me, is just so interesting because he plays center like he's also doing jujitsu, where yes. 
he's constantly like we always talk about this with wrestlers but he even seemed more exaggerated where wrestlers are these match- masters of leverage they get you off balance they use their weight against you he's the master of pull throughs whether it's at the line of scrimmage out on screens all these different things so I think he's a really unique compelling player who's got a chance to be probably one of the first interior guys taken off the board absolutely hold on one second no I can't can we- She's going to watch Auburn Gymnastics tonight, so I love you. Oh, cool. Have fun. Okay, say hello to Mr. Mike. Okay. Hi, how are you? Have fun tonight. He said have fun tonight. All right, I love you. Will you close that door, please? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't recall getting checked out of school to go to gymnastics meets, but that has to be pretty cool either way. So I'd say so. Anytime, anytime we can get the kids to Auburn for sporting events, we're all for it. So, um, Amen. Some good, some good ones that you rolled off there, which takes me to this. And I love having this conversation with either you or Aaron or Stinchcomb or anybody. Like, where do you feel like offensive line play is right now in college football? Because I feel like we were sort of climbing, climbing, climbing. We came out of the hurry up, no huddle age. It's like, okay, we're getting back to some fundamentals, like some double teams were finishing and then maybe plateaued. And I, I almost want to say we're, we're back on a little bit of a downslope here, sort of. In, in our totality, how do you sort of view, what's your thousand foot view of offensive line playing college football right now? Yeah, I, I think you'd be right. I think it, it, the best read would probably be it's plateaued a little bit where we're not seeing, like every year there was usually one unit that were like, damn, like these are a yes. bunch of badasses. They're going out here and doing it. And it's just been a lot harder to find that. There's some great performances, but that consistency and dominance over time has been tough. And I think part of that is, we're learning about a new world of college football right now where there's a lot more movement and volatility. And I, I've had this conversation with Ronnie Jones before, uh, you know, one of your colleagues at ESPN, you yeah. know, great former slapback for Georgia Tech about the value of offensive linemen in the portal era, because like the NFL, there's so few incredibly high end talented versions of that, that they should yes. be guys that command a fair amount of value in this new open market. The problem is this can, this position group in particular is more benefits more from consistency and continuity than almost any other position group on the field. We could talk about this for quarterbacks and receivers. I think the only real close comp might be the secondary as well, since O-line and to me, defensive secondary mimic a lot of things position wise. But I just think with so much roster volatility now, that lack of continuity shows up a lot where even good groups, you know, again, I I go back selfishly to Notre Dame because I watch every snap of them as a fan and as a former player, that group ended up being really good last year. They had some good parts, but It took them a little while at the beginning of the season. You had a new coach in there as well, which we see those changes pop up now. And you had guys that just had to get used to all playing together in that same way. And now this year, they lose two to the draft. They lose their starting center to the portal. And so you're going to have more of that again, where you're coming in and having to reset, I think, a little more of that foundation every year, getting quality players in, but guys that just don't have the reps together to necessarily make it look the same. Let's be real, too, Mike, for us this portal era kind of goes against what we are. I mean, it's the offensive linemen normally unselfish, doing things as a group, spending more time together. There's a lot less individually based things that just happen on your in your daily routine. I mean, when we go out and we do some sort of a workout or we want to do, you know, walk through or whatever, it's usually either center right or all five. And it's just, it's kind of how it works. So it's that consistency is massive. I agree. And maybe that's, I've talked about the development of it and the disruption of it. When a guy goes somewhere else, just you almost kind of cancel out that spring ball. It doesn't really count. That's just acclimation. And then the continuity begins in fall camp. And that can't happen over one camp. 
probably can't even happen over one season. We saw it with Notre Dame's group last year, like you said. Like, you put the Clemson film on, it's pretty ugly. That's a good D-line. But you put some other films on, it looks pure dominant. Same thing with Alabama's group. Early in the season, completely lost. SEC championship game, rolling guys four and five yards down the field. So I wonder if that's going to continue to happen with the movement, is that that continuity is is not going to be easy to find. And the groups that also think guys are being asked to do so much more. You yeah. get, I mean, some of these offenses, Mike, they don't have a personality until week 10. It's it's like, okay, we're going to be, you know, we got to air it out. Okay, no, no, no. We're going to be an inside zone, you know, a duo team. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to run toss, like play action, heavy team, like motion team, RPOs, read plays. Like these coaches want to carry everything. And I can remember Saban saying it a couple of years ago. He's like, listen, because there were a couple of games that, they got into the fourth quarter and kind of couldn't close it out and it got a little uncomfortable. He's like, listen, you guys are mad at us for not running the ball or being dominant on the ground. But you do realize when we go to practice every day, how many of those times do you think our quarterbacks are handing the ball off? They're not. They're pulling them and throwing them every single time. So, yeah, in the back of your mind, after the 30th or 40th time that happens in a game, you're kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter if I finish this guy or not. Like, We're just going to throw the slant. So who cares? So I also think that the diversity on some of these offenses, it makes it tough to just dial down and say, we're going to be great at the stretch play. We're going to be great at pin and pull or whatever it is because you're just trying to do everything. Uh, I could not agree more on that. I, I I even go back. So my last year when we had Harry, because what do you mentioned about continuity? That was my whole college career. I had four offensive line coaches in five years. So every cool. spring was relearning someone's communication style, learning what technique they wanted you to go out there and perform so you could get on the field. And it really does. It gives you the ability to certainly figure out how you learn best. There's some positives you take away, but you're not developing on the same trajectory for the full time that you're there. And then the portion about simplicity, my last year when we went undefeated in 2012, Coach Eastan was our O-line coach. Chuck Martin, who's been the head coach at Miami of Ohio for the last decade, was our offensive coordinator. We had like six run plays that year. We had a very simple, <laughs> and we were we were not a juggernaut offense by any means. We were led by defense that year, but we were a 200 rushing yard, 200 passing yard a game offense. That was how we got down, and we ran inside zone stretch. We had, uh, you know, one back power mixed in there, and like one or two other things, like little short side runs off that. But it was a yeah. really simplified playbook, and that was our whole thing: is we're going to rep these over and over and over again. We talked to Kenny Dillingham from Arizona State on our show this morning, and we asked him what he's learned so far, you know, through one year of being a head coach, but being around the rest of college football. And he said, it's how much you've got to be aware of what your resources as a team do in terms of dictating what you are schematically as a team. Like he said, we didn't have the depth here that we've had at other spots that I've been. And so it doesn't allow us to go and do nine on seven as often as we'd like to run inside run. Cause we don't have the bodies to hold up in practice, let alone that long. And so I don't know if we can go out and be a ground and pound team if I wanted to there. So what are we doing with the resources around us? And to your point, there are a lot of people who spend more time than that tinkering after the fact. They don't just slot in on, all right, here's what we can do. Let's go and give ourselves the reps, the reps, the reps that are necessary to do it at a high level. They want to keep their options open because a lot of coaches I think are tend to be in more cover your ass mode than anything else where it's, Hey, I want to prepare them for every situation rather than put my ass on the line. And that was what I always appreciated about coach Eastand. He said, I can't prepare you for every look. I'm going to give you the tools to handle things that come up that we can't possibly prepare for. And we're going to work on those. And if that costs me my job, then so be it. But I'd rather go out 
doing what I believe is right and coaching the position the way I believe it needs to be coached rather than just trying to give you all the answers to the test so I feel like my bases are covered. And I always really appreciated that about his approach. A couple of things there. One, I say a lot of things. I regurgitate a lot of things that Rick Tricky did when we were playing at Auburn that have a negative connotation. But the one thing that he would always come back to was CYA. And he, he's like, listen, you are a group, you are a unit, but when it all, when it all, when the shit hits the fan, CYA, like you better know your assignment and you better know what you need to do first and take care of mm-hmm. that and then help everybody else out. And it's just it, that that still has to be there, no matter how much continuity yep. or glue there is on your group. You know, the other part is you, you just you think about when you were talking about what Coach Dillingham was saying, like you did more and had more going on as a college football player than I did. Do you ever sit back and think about how much goes into this versus how much time they actually have in games compared to maybe what we do? Like we had more practice time, but mm-hmm. when you're talking about these kids have walkthrough rooms and if folks don't know what it is, it's literally a giant movie screen that you walk into and it looks like you're at, like you looks like you've got the Apple goggles on and you're watching a football game and there's guys in front of you and you can all line up and see what a defense is going to look like or see what coverage is going to look like. So you got all these walkthroughs, all this film. You can watch film on your iPad now. I mean, we had to have go in there with the clicker and somebody had to sit down and run it. It, it feels like the amount of time now that goes into it compared to the actual game time is so freaking lopsided. Now, it, that's what makes kids better, and that's what gets guys developed faster, and you can go play somewhere else. But it's just sometimes I sit back and think about, man, did does anybody ever think about the amount of time and the differential between – all the different sorts of prep, and then how many actual snaps you get in a game. Oh, it's it's wild, and you wonder if we get to this point where, hey, it's like diminished returns on a lot of this stuff. I think we're seeing this to an extent with the coaching and recruiting calendar, too, where you get these opportunities to do more. And so you feel like, well, my competition's doing more, so I need to be doing more. And you keep jamming yep. it in there, and everyone's afraid to be the one to pull back because it creates this perception that, all right, if things go wrong, it's because I didn't do enough and my competition was doing more. When in actuality, like you said, there's a lot of us that got by and did pretty well with a lot less and the guys before yeah. us and on and on. It's not to say that new information is bad, whether it's this exercise science, what have you, but there is a certain point in we're talking a lot right now publicly, nationally, about burnout amongst coaches who have all this stuff on their plate. And I think it goes back to when you get all this stuff available to you, everyone feels like, well, I have to use every last bit of it or I'm not doing the best job possible. And it creates this grind set culture that's slowly going to grind all these people into dust. Which is what we just described on offense, is that if a coordinator's not carrying an RPO, he's probably sitting there thinking, well, damn, like everybody else has it or wait, why don't we run pin and pull? Or, you know, why, why are we not running toss sweep? Like everybody else carries it. We got to, why don't we have 27 screens? Everybody, everybody else has 27 screens and you feel like you got to put more screens in. Uh, but I remember the days of whether it was early Dabo at Clemson or Bruce Arians at Tampa that were, hey man, three o'clock hits. Like you go watch your kid play Little League Baseball. Like your, your daughter has a recital. You go watch that. I don't feel like we hear about that a whole lot anymore. Most of these guys are just like in, 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 in. Like you said, as much as humanly possible, oh, I have a helicopter now. I can go see more kids at their high schools every day instead of having to drive and go do this and that. It's just wild, the time and the time differential. And I love what you said there about, like, are, are we getting an equitable payoff versus mm-hmm. what we're putting into it? I don't know if there's ever going to be a true way to know, but it definitely feels lopsided. So let's go to 
Because a lot of the stuff we talked about is going to be applicable to Notre Dame, specifically with losing players, offensive line, coordinators, play calling, things like that. But Notre Dame's situation with what we just learned about the playoff and the 12-team mm-hmm. playoff, that they basically will not be one of the four highest seeds. Just so you know, Mike, for me personally, I don't like it because – when you rate this tournament, seed this tournament, it's supposed to be the 12 best teams. That's the way I view it. So if Notre Dame's undefeated and has the most difficult schedule and they run the table, there's no way in hell they should be a five seed. That should never happen. Now, we understand the politics around it, and we understand that the middle finger that has been thrown their way by some people and basically doing this and what they want to happen. But how did you see it? What did you think of it when you saw it come down, what it's going to do to Notre Dame? And what does it do, in your opinion, to Notre Dame's footing in college football moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I think, and maybe I was surprised at how much reaction there was around the Notre Dame involvement in this, just because we've been talking about this form of expansion for a couple of years now. And yeah. Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick, every time the press release comes out, it's the 10 conference commissioners and Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick. And it's always mentioned in there, like, Jack's one of the... You know, outside of Greg Sankey, he was the most senior decision maker in college football after all the turnover that had happened in some of these other conferences. He's been a big part of building the modern version of the sport. And so we always kind of knew like, yeah, we knew exactly what was coming with this. Notre Dame's priorities when it comes to independence for them have always been twofold. It's is the TV deal competitive and do you have access to the championship? And both of those have been satisfied as of late. This makes it even easier for Notre Dame now. And really, to your point, while they are penalized is probably the wrong word to use that but there in this case it is it's the penalty for not being at a conference you can't be one of the top four seeds in this structure you're not going to be able to get one of the buys in there but we know Notre Dame doesn't play a conference championship game so they're playing the same amount of games that one of those teams on a buy would and it does make more opportunities more spots for them where the margin of error before was basically nil it was zero games or one really good loss on your schedule and so i I really looked at this and said this is exactly what we expected for notre dame it feels like a win for them going forward i i understand your point completely it sort of makes a mockery of the sport if you have what if they were the best team in the country for that year and all of a sudden you don't see that that way everyone looks around and goes what are we really doing here this seems a little ridiculous even in the name of saying well, we want to ensure that these conferences remain important, that there's value in this and all these old parts of the sport that people love so much. My only thought with that is Notre Dame has not consistently put itself in the conversation of being the top team in college football often enough to me to worry about that as a problem right now. If that starts to become a thing and Marcus Freeman and company break through what's been the upper crust of the sport, then, hey, maybe we'll have a conversation. Maybe that's when Notre Dame does think more about joining a conference or whatever version of this consolidation comes next. But I think for right now, for where Notre Dame is as one of the top 10 programs consistently over the CFP era in college football and what this provides them in terms of access, I think this is a win. All right, so, all right, so you've been involved in them, but you have a different angle because uh, you haven't always been affiliated with the school that competed in a conference championship game. There are some people that say this is sort of the end of that line, even though it's not going to happen now, but this sort of signals the beginning of the end for conference championship games because why would you play them? What's the benefit? Are you going to sit your starters? You don't really need them anymore. If the SEC is going to get four or five teams in or the Big Ten is going to get three or six teams in, whatever it is, you don't have to have that game. Are we basically staring down the barrel of conference championship games being over? 
I think so. I mean, especially if we go to this like 14 team model that's now all of a sudden on the table after we thought the things were settled. Yeah, this is kind of what we're flirting with because all the people making these decisions just keep doing the same thing that we see professional owners going. Hey, some is great. Wouldn't even more be better of these big time TV <laughs> matchups that do all these crazy numbers and make us all a whole hot heap and mess of money. And you know what? We'll worry about what happens with the regular season or conference championships or everything when we get to that. But look at this cool tournament that we have over here. And for a sport that's had this great regular season that we've all enjoyed for so long, I- I'm not going to totally sky is falling this thing yet because college football is a remarkably resilient animal. But at the same time, it's hard to look at that and go, yeah, this is in the best interest of the sport. Like, this is in the best interest of lining a certain selection of the population's wallets. That's really what it comes down to. We, I love what you just said about being a resilient sport, but good God, are we testing that resilience? Woo! I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, the honey badger is great against a cobra, but like we're dropping him in a den of cobras and be like, okay, we know you can take on one. Can you defeat 12 at once? Good luck with this partner. Because think about, I mean, it almost hurts my head sometimes to think about just how full circle we come in this sport. Like we got away, we went to divisions because we were tired of all these 10 and two teams at the top of conferences. We didn't know who the best team was and these three and seven way ties that we had. Okay. So we got away from that. We get away from the BCS because we hate the formulas. We hate the numbers. Well, now we hate humans picking who's going to get in the college football playoffs. So we, we, we're trying to figure out another way to do that. It's just, we college football is the most spoiled brat on the planet. Like it's never enough. It's literally never enough for any portion of it. It's always got to be more something else, something different, something new. Like, I don't think any of us are, we may never sit here, Mike, for the rest of our lives and just exhale and say, this is college football. Like, just sit back and enjoy it. I don't know if we're ever going to be there again. No, I I don't think so. And part of it is, is twofold. And Spencer Hall always points this out. Like college football has always succeeded in spite of itself because there's never been true leadership. It's never been a sport governed by anybody. It's always just been, Hey, this collection of people who have enough shared interest to kind of work together and make this happen. And the NCAA kind of comes in and punishes every once in a while, but it's always been too big and unwieldy. It's why I always tell people, If you want to read a book about another sport that in my mind is the most instructive thing about college football I've ever read, it's the club. It's about the formation and foundation of the English Premier League. Because in my mind, English soccer is the most applicable comparison to college football, where you've got this vast amount of teams that are actually in all five tiers of English soccer. It's, I think, at or near like 100 teams. And in that group are wildly different versions of the sport between the money that goes into creating them, the the ability to move up, all those things. It's a lot like college football, where... Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, they're not playing the same sport that they're playing in the MAC and these other places. It's not an all level, <laughs> level playing field. And that's so respect. I love the MAC. I love the group yes. of five conferences, but we all recognize the difference there. And so somewhere along the way, the Premier League said, hey, we're going to lop off the top of this thing. They did it because they saw how American sports professionals were operating, getting all this money. But it did make it a little bit easier to wrap your arms around for college football because we're still trying to carry this very hulking, weighty thing and make rules that kind of apply to everyone, even though most of the people making those rules really only care about those ones at the top, it it makes it really difficult because, again, it always goes back to no leadership and this big mass that we're trying to wrap our arms around is always going to make for a really unwieldy experience. It's like Kevin from the office when he drops the chili walking in there. That's how we are trying to carry college football right now. There's so many portions of it that can be frustrating. I can remember Mark Richt years ago when somebody asked him why they played a a non-conference team, a lower-tier team. He's like, listen, there's enough money to go around for everybody. 
if we need to do this to support another team and keep them afloat, great, good for them, like we can do it. But then now you begin to hear with some of these meetings about not only not having the group of five assured a spot in the playoff down the road, which is one thing I think we all kind of wanted to see, but not just for inclusion's sake, but then now the NCAA tournament expanding and maybe some of these lower level conference champions not getting an automatic bid, which is just like, it's kind of gut-wrenching to me because I, I just feel like that there are portions of college sports that certain people, mainly younger people and the people in high level executive positions are just saying, don't need you anymore. Like it's, it's, we're, we're done. And they, those programs have done a lot for building college sports to what we have today. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And there was always this recognition of that, especially like you mentioned, from the coaches involved who came from those places, who yeah. understood the unique challenges that they face financially at those spots and are trying to pay it forward. Like it really was a very noble event. And listen, we understand it was a layup win for them. It was all these things that benefit the schedule wise. But there really was, I think, some of that. Hey, like I have been there. I've been that coach and I understand what comes with this. We see those relationships sometimes still built into guys who have friends of theirs or former teammates who are coaching at some of those schools who will do some of those pay games because of it. And it's a reminder why. And again, I, I'm usually the guy that pumps the brakes on a lot of the doomsday prophesizing that goes on around college football. The one thing to your point about the effort to make college football like a more efficient model. The one thing that terrifies me and Matt Brown, who writes the great extra points newsletter, everybody should read if you're curious about some of the business behind college football. And he's pointed this out. And so it made me afraid. And the more I looked into it, these private equity people poking around college football, bad news. Mm. That is it's, bad it's, news for this coming. sport. It's coming. Uh, I've, I've had conversations with people who have had conversations with those people and the interest is very real and it's knocking on the door. And I'm kind of like you. I don't know if I want to go down that path or not, but we'll see. All right. I want to go into Notre Dame this year, this team, um, offensively, it is a, it's a team that's going to be very different, which most every team in college football will be from year to year now. Um, you excerpt Sam Harbin goes out. Riley Leonard comes in. I'm, I'm curious of the fit. I don't know if it's going to be a bad fit, a great fit. I'm just curious because I also had Mike Denbrock a couple of times last year with Jaden Daniels winning a Heisman trophy. And they had a running back that was actually well former Notre Dame running back and Logan Diggs was very similar to Estime and a great offensive line. I can remember having them later in the year, like coach. Do you just not really want to pound the ball at all anymore? I mean, I know these receivers are awesome. Your quarterback's great. And he goes, we probably should hand it off a few more times a game. Like, we're capable of doing that, but also have these other cool toys. So we're going to play with them first. Uh, he comes back, and I think he's a brilliant offensive mind. I love Denbrock. I think he's going to do great. But with he and all the receivers out, Fisher and Alt out at tackle, you mentioned starting center out. Now, you get a couple in that are going to be able to help. Like I, I saw the Chris Mitchell at Florida National last year. He's big time. Like He can play. Mm -hmm. He can 50-50 ball against anybody out there. So you get a few new pieces in. You have your bowling ball of a running back that's now gone. Just what do you foresee on that side of the ball for Notre Dame this year? So the, the thing I've been talking to people about, because so Mike Denbrock was the tight ends coach when I was at Notre Dame there. So no Mike for a long time, and I agree with you. Uh, I think he had the same strength that Brian Kelly, I said, had when people were, when he was going down at LSU, I said, he understands his resources really, really well yeah. and is going to make use of those. And that's why the offense there looks so different. So what I envisioned for the Notre Dame offense this year, accounting for what Riley Leonard's strengths are right now as a player is think about like 2021 Cincinnati. 
like what he did with Desmond Ritter, a tight end that had multiple or an offense that had multiple tight ends that they could use is especially early on when you're replacing a lot of these guys up front. You know as well as I do, mobile quarterback and a lot of that you know zone read stuff can really help those guys out by yep. buying up the backside linebacker, the backside end while they get going there. Because again, there's good players. A bunch of their young guys up front got reps last year when Zeke Carell got hurt late in the season, when they made that switch at the end. Like there were some reps along the interior that are going to be valuable while they replace the tackles that were both really good. But I think in that interim, having an RPA, RPO based quarterback led run game in the end, they got a deep backfield. Like Audric was no doubt the tip of the spear, but yeah. almost to a point of frustration for some people, they saw so many running backs rolled through last year for Notre Dame. But I think you're going to see the benefit of that. They have a really talented backfield that they're going to be able to lean on there. So I think between a quarterback whose legs are a real viable threat and a running back room with that kind of depth, you're going to give that offensive line a little bit of a chance to get its feet under it as the year goes along, get some lighter box look because of it. Hopefully with some of that receiving influx, you know, you get Bo Collins from Clemson who can fly too. Maybe that helps build some of that out. So I've said to people, I see more 2021 Cincinnati as the offense that in my mind would be the best for Notre Dame at this juncture. All right. Defensively, um, I had Duke in the bowl game. So I talked to a lot of their guys about RJ Oban because he didn't play and yeah. they raved about him. Obviously, I saw him on film studying for that game. Uh, great length. I mean, physically, he's exactly what you want out on the edge. I think he's stout enough to hold up against the run. Maybe not the twitchiest edge rusher if that's how he's used at times, but he's going to help. Absolutely. And then, man, I love Howard Cross. First off, I feel like he's been there for 11 years, but I love watching this kid play. Like he's not, he's not your big fat nose guard that we get in a lot of other places that holds the point, but he plays like he is. And like he's just a guy that you have to respect the way he plays the game. So I feel like. The defensive line could be a strength, maybe even front seven a strength. Defensively, what are you looking at for this group this coming into this season? Yeah, I completely agree. We talked about with the offensive line stuff, how the continuity was damning, like getting to hold on to Al Golden, having so many of those important guys at the linebacker level coming back, having both defensive tackles. Riley Mills and Howard Cross are such a fun tandem because Riley, you see him in person. I mean, he he is muscle man. That guy is muscles on top of muscles. He's big, but he's also pretty bendy, was pretty disruptive last yeah. year. Him and Crow- Howard are a great tandem, but Howard, I remember going to camp three years ago, and I was talking to a couple guys around there that I knew, asking them who would pop, and they said, we can't block 56. We Like, he is ruining practice because we can't block <laughs> this guy because his hands are that heavy. So between that tandem there, the smart guys they have at linebacker, because this defense reminded me, and I thought about this a lot during the NFL postseason, reminds me a lot of Kansas City. Like you got a bunch yeah. of smart guys, you got a couple of badasses up front, but you got smart dudes in the second debt level and then lockdown corner on the back end um, that can make it like Benjamin Benjamin Morris on the back end probably is going to leave Notre Dame as the best corner to play there in my lifetime. Like he's been a true press man lockdown corner, like watching what he did against Marvin Harrison jr. Last year, we haven't had a lot of dudes like that. And so when you combine coverage like that on the back end where Notre Dame, and this is what Marcus had at Cincinnati. Like, remember they had sauce Gardner and dudes at Cincinnati when they came and played Notre Dame in South Bend that following year, the corners that Marcus had worked with there were better than ours. And now Notre Dame is starting to get some of those dudes. You lose Cam Smith this year. Who's going to be a blow. He was a captain for you. Important guy. But with Ben back there and that group combined with 
all the looks they can throw at you from a blitz standpoint, that's what reminds me of Kansas City. They can present a lot to you. It's what we saw when they played USC, and they gave Caleb Williams hell because they could throw everything at him. And so because you've got so much experience returned in at every level, like, yeah, is RJ open Javante Jean-Baptiste in terms of, like, Twitch and high-end stuff? I don't think so. But he's similar enough to be able to offset some of that loss and with everything else have a defense that it should be in the conversation for a top 10, top 5 group again in college football this year. Now, I love what you said about the Kansas City defense, and the, the guys are in the NFL now, so it's not like they're secrets or under the radar or whatever, but like you think what they've done in the draft, we can leave offense to the side with Creed probably fell way too far, the, sure. maybe the biggest steal in the history of the draft and Trey Smith, but you understood the health concerns, but there's no way they should have gotten Nick Bolton where they got him. Like I had his games at Missouri, and he was a freaking killer at Missouri. Like All Karloftis did was get to the quarterback at Purdue. That's it. It's the only thing he did. And he slides a little bit as well. And it's just kind of like they keep hitting these home runs like late first, early second, mid second. And these guys turn into all league type players. It's no surprise they're where they are. Nonetheless, all right. I don't want you to think super huge big picture here. This can be something tiny, micro. I want you to take us inside like being a Notre Dame football player. What was the coolest thing you ever got to do? Because you were a Notre Dame football player when you were in school. So at the time, like, I remember I thought one of the coolest things that we got to do, and I remember we were the first team to do this, and I know since they've had other stuff go on there, but Notre Dame and Army have that long-standing tradition of playing games at Yankee Stadium, and in 2010, we played Army there, and we were the first ones to play in the new Yankee Stadium, and yeah. I remember Friday, we got there for our walkthrough, and BK and them knew, like, we were going to be pretty wide-eyed and shell-shocked, because it's the freaking Yankees, you know, we, Notre Dame gets that comparison all the time in college football because of the brand and how Nashville is and all that stuff, but we were 18 to 21 year olds walking into the yep. New York freaking Yankees locker room. And so they canned our Friday walkthrough as soon as we got there and they just let us go and walk around Monument Park. We're in the locker room asking the, you know, the locker room attendant whose lockers we all have. And we're losing our mind when we find out Tommy Reese has Derek Jeter's locker. And it was just one of those moments where it was cool because it's an opportunity that we had because it's Notre Dame and because it's this big place with this kind of association. But to also have the staff kind of understand and Brian Kelly and company say, oh, yeah. hey, let's lean into this. Let's let these guys have this moment. And that was always something that stuck with me a lot just because it was cool. And then I, I would say besides that, the 1B was the game in Ireland is such an eye opener. Oh. Like the, yeah. the last time they played in Ireland before this year was when we went and the record they broke for the largest contingency of American fans to go overseas for a game was set when we went there and to look out in a foreign country and see nothing but your colors and nothing but your people out there and how strong that representation was, was such a like stark reminder of, oh man, this is such a special fan base and place to be associated with the opportunities that we had in those two instances solely because you're at a place that's got this kind of profile to it was really, really cool and stuff that I still get to talk about and recollect about now, which is awesome. Man, I talk about playing in the last Iron Bowl at Legion Field and growing up in Homewood, which is like three miles from Legion Field, and like how that was the mecca of college football for me. The upper deck said football capital of the South, and literally yeah. that's what it was because it was Iron Bowl, big Alabama games, SEC championship game. You had playoff games there. You had a bowl game there. I mean, it was that was where big football happened for me when I was growing up, and so to play in the last one there was huge, but that is a totally different level of just like – all encompassing everything inside of a football game. What about uniforms though? Like what was the, see, I always think back, I was a big Jerome Bettis fan when he was in college and then growing up a Steelers fan, get him there was just awesome. But like he gave fat guys hope that we could actually hold the football one day other than playing center. 
And I remember the Sugar Bowl, they go in for warmups and they come back out in the green jerseys. And I was like losing my mind. I was like, this is freaking unbelievable. What was like the coolest uniform alteration you had while you were playing? So ours, like the ones I tended to like the most were the ones that made our fan base the most angry because it's a super traditional <laughs> fan base. And so they hate it when we change the uniform. But just like you mentioned with a lot of these other tradition rich places, you don't normally get a lot of that. Like we're not no, Oregon yeah, where, you've where you've got, got this new uniform combo every week. And so it was awesome for us because you got it new issue gear that went along with it. You oh, got yeah. to do something a little bit different on game day. I mean, the loudest one that we did, we played um Miami at Soldier Field in Chicago my fifth year. And we wore these helmets that were like two-thirds blue and it had a white leprechaun on the side and the pants yeah, they were, were blue. Gross. And yeah, they were, they were, they were gross. a lot. But at the time, I'm like, Oh, yeah, these are awesome because they're so <laughs> different. And I mean, it, it helped. I have a positive memory about them because we whooped Miami's ass in that game, too. There you go. But, you know, it was uh, that one was fun. I'm always super partial. My first actual start. So um, my first like meaningful playing time came late in my career. I ended up with 17 starts. My one of my roommates and one of my closest friends, Braxton Cave, is our starting center. He got hurt against Wake Forest. I ended up playing that entire game. Um, and then starting the very next one was our Shamrock series game for that year, we played Maryland at FedEx field and we wore green jerseys for that game. And the helmets yes. were a little bit different. They had these like custom swirls on it and Shamrock there, but that helmet's so near and dear to me. Cause that was my first college start. It was on of the road and, and it was just, you know, it was a great opportunity that I always remember and getting to do it. Like you said, in the green Jersey that carries so much history and tradition at Notre Dame, albeit in a bit of a different setting. There was a ton of fun. So you did get one of the helmets with the shamrock on the side. You did get I did, to wear yeah. Yeah. See, that was sweet. I love yeah. that. That was that was I thought a lot of you're right. A lot of people get mad about a lot of the changes, but I thought that one was was pretty badass. That was a good one. Well, Mike, yeah. we appreciate it, man. I wanted to kind of cover a lot of different things with you. You've been awesome, gracious with your time. Um, hopefully we can do this again soon. No, absolutely. Anytime, man. Always great to catch up. All right. Great stuff there from Mike Golick Jr., one of my favorite guys in this business, one of the nicest guys in this business, he and his father both. Just great people and appreciate him hopping on. We got to get him some Wickles pickles, by the way. And never forget about Blue Delta jeans. I probably should have, with as skinny as he is now, I should have told him about Blue Delta jeans, the premium denim, best jeans you're ever going to own in your life. Go to bluedeltajeans.com. They now have a digital fit system where you can go be custom fit for your jeans right there online. It's easy. Father's Day, not too far away. If you want to get maybe a little gift card for your loved one in your life, you can do that at BlueDeltaJeans.com. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about us right here on Cube Show. Premium, stretchy, flexible, comfortable, custom-fit jeans that are as nice as you're ever going to get. I have multiple pair. It's all I wear now. And I have a lot of other jeans because I used to own a clothing store. And I kept a bunch. And the Blue Deltas are all I wear. So I'll vouch for them. Thanks for tuning in. Great stuff this week. Uh, a little bit off par from our normal heavy SEC conversation. Uh, spring ball gets going this week, so we'll begin some previews on that. going to have a lot to talk about, questions that we have, questions we need answered. It's all coming in the next couple of weeks right here on Cube Show. Please subscribe on YouTube. We're closing in on ten grand, trying to get there. Not there yet. We appreciate all your support. We'll be back next week. The 
Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.